0: Excel. I know I say this every week, but genuinely, I really do miss you guys. And um, I was just thinking about it as I was getting ready to record this message. It's been over five months since we've had an Excel service, literally almost half a year. And I haven't been physically away from Excel as, as a service in that long since maybe just after graduating high school when I left church altogether. For about a year, um, there was some drama going on, some stuff that honestly I don't think I was mature enough at the time to handle it uh, in a good way, and so I handled it in the best way I thought, which was to leave. And when I left, you know, uh, things initially were great, and at least in my eyes, you know, I caught up with old friends uh, and I had some more time on my hands. I wasn't being occupied with every Thursday and Friday night, and I enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was decent. It was great. Uh and then I, I started to do things that I wouldn't normally be doing. I started to uh do stuff that honestly I'm not proud of doing and I don't really care to share. Um and I started to kind of drift from who I was and who I knew God was calling me to be to the point where I wasn't happy with where I was at and, and what I was doing. And I knew I needed to give back to church. I knew I needed to get back into a good relationship with God, but after all those failures and all those mistakes, honestly, I wasn't sure how. Uh, I mean, my initial thought was go to a new church, start over, try again. But uh, God was calling me back to Excel, back to Belmont, and um, I, I couldn't deny that. And so I was trying to figure out, but God, how do I do that? You know, there's so many people there that know I've messed up. They they know my mistakes. They know my issues. I felt like. Maybe they were already judging me, and and maybe they had written me off already. Maybe uh, they didn't believe in me like they did before. Uh, You know, I just wasn't sure what I was kind of getting into. Um, I felt like uh, my sins were still kind of with me and and kind of an issue. Um, I was having a hard time letting go of stuff. And um, I don't know, man. Maybe you felt like that at some point or another. If you've been a Christian long enough, I'm sure you have. Where... You've made some mistakes and, and you're not sure how people are going to react to it. And so we do one of a couple of things. We hide them. Uh, but the Bible is pretty clear that whatever is hidden eventually is going to get brought to light. And and the worst part is when it is brought to light, um, we're so embarrassed or so unsure of how people are going to act that we run away. I want to talk to you uh, tonight about how to handle your failures. Because here's the truth and, and whether you understand that or not, Christians aren't perfect you're going to make mistakes. I'm sure in the last five months or so, you've done some things that Pastor Joey wouldn't be proud of and you know God is not pleased with and some stuff that maybe other people don't know, but you yourself are personally embarrassed by and you'd be mortified if people found out. Uh, I think a lot of times these failures that we have uh, cause us to freeze up and oftentimes stall our walk with God and prevent us from moving forward in what God is trying to do. But I think it's important for you and I to learn how to get up after we fall, how to move on after we have a failure, because we're going to have them over and over again, some big, some small, small. But we're going to have moments where we trip. And I love that God gives us room for that. That that God's not willing to just throw us away after our first mistake. But He understands that we're not perfect. We're only made righteous through Him. And so when we make mistakes, He gives us room and a recipe to get back on track. And I want to focus in on that recipe. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open up to John chapter 8. I'm going to read just a few verses there in this story. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 9. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. Soon he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Now, for those of you who may not understand that word adultery, adultery by definition is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not their spouse. Now, we're not sure if it was the woman who was married or if it was the man who was married or if they were both married. We just know that they weren't married to each other and they were caught in bed together uh, in the middle of this whole situation and dragged before not only Jesus, but the crowd of people that he was teaching. Now, think about this from the lady's perspective. She had to have been horribly embarrassed, publicly, I mean, right? She is publicly embarrassed. The Bible says that she was caught in the act. So when she was dragged out, there's probably a good bet that she was completely naked. Um, she was brought out in the middle of an act, naked in front of her community. Probably her family was there. Definitely people that she knew, friends, acquaintances, uh, she is in the most vulnerable position ever, caught in this horribly embarrassing act, and then put on display in front of everybody. You know, sometimes it feels like when we mess up that everybody's watching, that everybody can see, that everybody's talking about you. Not only was she publicly embarrassed, she was genuinely afraid. Remember, when the Pharisees came and they, they brought up the law of Moses, they said to Jesus, listen, the law dictates... That we need to stone her to death. Now this doesn't mean we're throwing pebbles at her. These were big rocks. And and they would throw these rocks at her until she would literally be bludgeoned to death. This was to be the penalty for her act. For what she was caught doing. Uh, On top of that she had to be emotionally abused. Uh, The Bible tells us that the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They didn't care about this woman. Think about it. Uh, It takes two to tango, right? But they only dragged the woman out. We don't see the man being dragged out. Now, we don't know if the man was in on this and, and it was part of the setup or if it just wasn't a big deal to them because they were trying to just trap this one person. The point is, here she was. I guess she felt some sort of attachment. The guy that she felt an attachment with isn't there. Her religious leaders who are supposed to protect her are condemning her. Her friends and family, we don't see anybody stepping in. I mean, she's scarred every which way. And here's the crazy part about all of this. She's 100% guilty. I mean, despite the fact that she was set up, she was willingly doing this act. She was caught in the act of adultery. And so there was no skinning around the fact that, yes, she was caught. And yes, the law at that time called for her to be put to death. And yet Jesus doesn't fall for the Pharisees trap. He doesn't confirm or deny their question. He simply says, okay, if that's the law, make sure whichever one of you hasn't sinned, cast the first stone. And I love that the Bible kind of says that they started to walk away the oldest from the youngest. I I wonder if it's because maybe the oldest realized they had more sin than everybody else just because they lived longer than everybody else. I mean, they understood that our hands aren't clean either. Like we've committed things. And this is part of why I wanted to bring this up because I think more and more culture as a whole, uh, they're great at pointing fingers and horrible at looking in the mirror, especially when you consider kind of this cancel culture that's, that's coming up where, you know, they try to, to get somebody online and, and bring all the dirt, everything bad they've ever done in their past. And, and they bring up old tweets and old posts and, and they say, see, look at who this person is. Let's cancel them. Let's shut them down. And listen, that culture isn't only online. That happens in our person-to-person relationships. Oh, did you hear so and so messed up? Let's not talk to them anymore. Let's I don't want to be friends with that person anymore. Even though they're in the body of Christ, even though they're supposed to be our brothers and sisters, sometimes the worst rejection we feel is in God's house shamefully. And that's not what God called us to do, but that's what this sinful nature does. And so I love that Jesus points it out, all right. Well, if you're gonna condemn her, if you're gonna, you know, stone her, make sure that Whoever among you doesn't have any sin is the first one to do it. And obviously, nobody threw a stone because none of them had no sin. And so I want to focus on what Jesus does to solve this issue. Because there's a couple of verses right after, verse 10 and 11, where I believe Jesus gives us the recipe for being able to get up after we fail. It says in verse 10, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. She goes, hey, listen, where are the people who were accusing you? Where are the ones who came to condemn you? Aren't one of them left? No. And neither am I. There's a few things in these two small verses that I think he lays out. Again, we live in what I believe is a throwaway generation. Uh, When something isn't of use, when something doesn't work anymore, rather than try to fix it, We toss it and get a new one. Your iPhone doesn't work anymore. You throw it away and you get the newest iPhone. Your earbuds don't work anymore. You toss them and get a new set of headphones. Like we just are in this replaced generation. But God doesn't want to replace you. God wants to restore you. God wants to bring you back to fruition. And again, I think sometimes we treat each other that way. But I need you to understand that that's not how God wants to treat you. That God is in the business of restoration, of bringing you back to new quality. And there's a few things that we see in these steps that remind us of that. Number one, if you're taking notes, he points out that people can judge, but not condemn. People can have an opinion. People can judge you for what they did. I love, you know, you always hear these quotes, only God can judge me. No, anybody can judge you. Anybody can have an opinion on what they think you're doing. That doesn't mean it has to mean anything to you. The world can try to condemn and pass sentence, but it can't have a final judgment. Often, uh, you know, condemn is used to describe a sentencing, uh, a death sentence. People can judge you, but no one has the authority to condemn you. No one can say you have no more you know, anything like you're shut down, you're canceled. Nobody has that authority to shut you down. We like to think we do, but listen, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Only Christ has that authority. Only Christ can do that. And Christ is saying, listen, there's no condemnation for those of you who have a relationship with me. If you are in Christ, that means that to damn you, you would have to damn God. You would have to condemn the Lord because he's the one who, That has taken the place of your sentencing. Yes, you and I are guilty, just like the adulterous woman was guilty. But Jesus is the one who paid the price for our sin. He is the one that took on the penalty of our sin. And so to condemn us means to condemn him. Jesus already paid that ultimate price. And so by that very nature, it's like double jeopardy. We're not going to be tried for the same thing twice. There's already been a conviction. Often, we feel like it's over... Because we look at how people treat us and how people act towards us. It's important to understand that those who are condemning you, even if they wanted to, have no power. Because they themselves are just as guilty as you are. Maybe we just don't know about their dirt. That's why many believe that what Jesus was writing when he was writing in the dirt, because it's not clear specifically, but we can make a few assumptions. And one of my favorite guesses, and I would love if this was true, and I'm going to ask Jesus when I see him face to face, I wonder if when he was writing in the dirt, if he was writing out their sins, the Pharisees, if he was writing out, hey, Pharisee Jim, remember that time it just wrote, you know, names or phrases, you know, kind of almost like in a, a a." A powerful way like only you and I know what this word means, but you know what it means. And I wonder if they started to realize, man, he knows what's going on. He's he's reading my mail. I better not try to condemn this woman because I might be the next one being condemned. Listen, we don't have to fear about people condemning us. They don't have that authority. But it is important to understand that Jesus does. If you're taking notes, number two, Jesus can condemn, but he doesn't. Jesus has the authority to condemn you, but he doesn't do that. That's the beauty of Jesus. See, Jesus had every right to condemn this woman because what did he say? Whoever has no sin can cast the first stone. The only person in that crowd with no sin was Jesus. The only one who could theoretically, based on what he said, throw a stone was him. And he chose not to. Jesus is the only one who has the authority to condemn you, to cancel you, to say you have no more hope. And yet he does it. Quite the opposite. He restores whatever hope you think is lost. Listen, John chapter 3, verse 16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he does not believe in the name of God's one and only son. There's only one way that you can be condemned for the sins that we've all committed, and that's to not have Jesus Christ as your Savior. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the one who took on that condemnation. He is the one that took on that penalty for sin when he died on the cross For you and for me. So you and I no longer have to live in that condemnation. We're no longer condemned to the penalties of sin. Because Christ already paid that penalty. See, Jesus had every right to hop off that cross and say, you know what? You bear your own condemnation. It's your sin. You deal with it. But because he so loved you and me, he died on the cross so that you and I can experience a life outside of condemnation. This is why it's important, young people, to not allow what other people think, say, or even your own internal thoughts to condemn you. When Jesus Christ, the only person in the universe who has that authority, chooses not to condemn you. That's why I think in our own personal struggle, it's hard to do the third thing. Jesus looked around and says, who else is left to condemn you? Nobody, right? They don't have that authority. And neither I condemn you. I who have the authority don't condemn you. And then he says, now go. That that third thing, go, I think is important because a lot of times we understand the first two things I said. We just have a problem with moving on. Go means move on. Go beyond what you did. Go beyond your struggles and your sins. Again, a lot of times we understand that we messed up and we understand that God forgives us. But we have a hard time moving on. Either we're sitting there beating ourselves up and and feeling guilty and feeling like we haven't earned our forgiveness when God never asked you to earn it. It's impossible for you to earn it. That's why it's a free gift because you can't earn it. And so we stick there and we, and we struggle in our sin. Or we just end up in this pity party with the invite of one where you're the only one sitting there feeling sorry for yourself when everybody else has moved on. We got to get to a point. Where we are repentive, we understand that we messed up, we have to do that. We ask God to forgive us, and then we move on. Jesus says he throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Like he's not sitting there, you know, constantly bringing up your past issues. You're the one usually doing that, or the enemy. And so what God is saying, listen, you you can't get past this if you're not willing to move forward. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 through 19 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He's saying, listen, move on. I got something good for you. I got something next for you. But you got to be willing to move on in order to embrace it. M.S. Lone said this once, Don't be afraid to keep moving on, for what was before now has gone. God wants to accomplish so much more, but we need to move forward in the Lord. We need to move forward believing that God has forgiven us, believing that God has redeemed us, not sitting there wondering, did he really mean it? Am I totally forgiven? Is it 100%? No, faith is just trusting That what God said is true. Believing his word and walking with the accordance and understanding that I have been forgiven. I am no longer condemned, but I am who God called me to be. Now, here's the key to all of this. Because the only way we can move forward is by making sure we don't move back. Jesus said, who now is left here to condemn you? No one, right? And neither do I. Now go, and then he adds on, and sin no more. It's not enough to just go, because sometimes we go and we circle back to the very thing we're trying to go away from. He's saying, go and sin no more. Don't come back to this way of life. All right, if you're taking notes, that's your fourth thing. Go and sin no more. Don't come back to this way of life. When he's talking to the adulterous woman, he's saying, listen, no one's here to condemn you. I'm not here to condemn you. Go, but don't go back to that bed with that man. Don't go back to the situation that I've set you free from. So often the reason we're caught in a cycle of sin and, and I meant cycle is because we've sinned, we move on, but we go back to sin. We sin, we move on, but we go back to the same thing. And you feel like you're caught in this vicious circle when God is telling you to just go straight. Keep moving beyond your sin. Don't go back to the very thing that I've set you free from. Listen, Proverbs twenty six eleven reminds us. As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats its foolishness. When a dog is sick, it spits up whatever it is that's making it sick, and it spits it onto the ground. But the dog, by its nature, it can't help but go and smell and look at it. Sometimes, and maybe you've seen it, the dog actually eats up the vomit that it spit out. I mean, how disgusting and gross is that? And yet, spiritually, we do the same thing. God has purged us of that sin or God has set us free from that thing that was holding us down. And, and we love it and we, and we give thanks and glory and we're emotional and we cry. And this is powerful moment only to find ourselves in just a matter of time going back to that same sin. Could you imagine if this adulterous woman, after being set free, after escaping the death penalty, after going through a hole that she went through, If she hooked up with the guy again. If she ended up going back into a relationship with him. Could you imagine the spit in the face that that would be? Not just to her community, but to the Lord who stood by her. Who stood up for her in front of everyone when no one else would. It's foolishness to allow yourself to go back. When God purges you of your past sins, don't go back looking for him. Don't say things like, well, you know, I just want to see if my ex is doing okay. That's not your problem anymore. They're your ex, not your future. You got to move on. Well, you know, it's it's just, it's my friend's birthday and, you know, they're just going to be a few things. Listen, that's the lifestyle you came out of. That's not what God's calling you back into. You know, well, you know, uh, I, I know they're, they're, they're just, you know, they're smoking a little bit and I know I quit a few months ago, but... Uh, you know, I haven't seen them in a long time. Listen, don't sit here making excuses for why you're going back to the thing that God called you away from. Delete the number, move away from that situation, throw away the computer, figure out what you got to do in order to not allow yourself to go back to the very thing that God set you free from. Sometimes it's hard to imagine how God can forgive you and me, but we don't have to imagine. He did it. We just have to believe. Imagining and believing are very different things. God has called us to believe that he is the one that set us free, that he is no longer willing to condemn you and me. And so Excel, or whoever's watching right now, I'm wondering, is there something that maybe you haven't even been caught in publicly, but privately, you know, man, I've made some mistakes recently. Over the last several months, I'm not where I need to be spiritually. I'm not living the way I need to be. I'm not doing the things I know I should be doing. And truth be told, I need to come back to God. I need to come back into a relationship with Him. Now, it might be some time until we can all physically, as Excel, get back together in the building. But there is no time that you have to wait in order to be back in the presence of God. So I just want to pray right now that God will remind you of what we just talked about, that no man has the authority to condemn you. And Jesus Christ, who does, chooses not to condemn you. So move on and don't go back to the sin that so easily tangled you up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray for my friends right now, God. Lord, uh, I've been where they are and I probably will be again, Lord, where we've made mistakes, where we've fallen short of your glory, where we've done things we know we shouldn't do and said things, and acted in ways that we know we shouldn't have done. But God, I thank you that no man, including ourselves, has the authority to condemn us. They can judge, they can critique, they can have their opinion, but they have no authority to condemn us. And Lord, I thank you, you who has all the authority to condemn us, for choosing not to, for choosing to restore us, to to bring us back, Lord, and Father, I just pray as you're restoring us, help us, God, to move on beyond our mistakes, to not sit there and dwell and feel sorry for ourselves, to not worry and, and feel like everyone's watching and everyone's thinking, Lord, I just pray that it be your opinion that matters more than anything and that you're the one that's calling us to move on. Lord, help us to move on without moving back, to not return to the very thing that you've called us to be free from, Lord. Father, I know that in as we move forward, we're going to have other sins. Father, just help us to not repeat the same old ones. Help us to not get caught in a vicious circle of sin simply because we continue to go back. Lord, I just pray that you help us to move forward because of your grace and mercy that enables us to be everything you called us to be, even when we fall short of it at times. We thank you, God, for your love and your mercy. And we pray even now, that we feel it right where we're at in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you, Excel. We got some news hopefully coming soon about trying to get back in the building. We're working on some plans and, and trying to do things as safely and as swiftly as possible. So be on the lookout for that. And we'll talk to you soon. God bless you. I'll see you later.